0: Hi, I'm Otto. Welcome
1: to Erin Sarah's Podcast. Hi. Hi. Dr. Z in the house. I
0: love that. Dr. Z in the house. <laughs> How are you guys? We're really good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Good. We, to this day, get messages, I would say, every other day about your episode.
1: People You're kidding. That. Really? No. Aww. Yeah. Narcissism is, is a real topic people
0: want to talk about. Narcissism is alive and kicking and amongst us, uh-huh. but yes, not in is. this room because my therapist has confirmed with me that I am not a narcissist. Just
1: mm. letting you know. Interesting. I'll have to discuss that with him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, <It's so>. How <laughs> have you been? Did you get, um, did you hear from people after the episode reaching out to I you? I heard
2: from so many people. Really? First, I heard from people that, that like friends of mine were like, I, I'm sitting here because they everyone they all listen to you. And they're sitting like, all of a sudden I hear you on there. I'm like, what is she doing on there? But yeah, I got a ton, of, I got a ton of messages. Like I'll, probably over that week when it launched, it was
0: like a hundred like at least a hundred messages. Oh my God. That's amazing. I think the overall theme from people were like, I think people were really um shocked to realize that they're in relationships with narcissists or yes. that they have family members who are narcissists. I think most of the people that I heard from were like, this all makes so much sense because yep. I never connected the dots. I never... Like, they knew something was wrong, but they couldn't figure out what. And and then they hear it and they're like, holy shit, that's my life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I mean, I had a couple people write me saying, because of your episode, I have left my marriage because I know oh, he will
1: never change. Breaking up marriages. That's what we're proud to be doing over here. (laughs) Just making the divorce rate go higher.
2: I get yelled at so often. I get so many nasty messages like you're, you know, you call yourself a psychologist and you're so pessimistic. How could you stigmatize mental health? I'm like, I'm just explaining what they do. (laughs) <laughs> That's it. That's how
1: bad it is. Yeah, you're like if I can just give 10 characteristics of a narcissist and if someone in your life fits those, it's not me making them fit those. It's right, me right, letting right, right. you know Exactly. Exactly. What that means. Well, I let's mean, figure out yeah. what, you know, what the part 2 looks like to the narcissist episode because I think that we should dive more into narcissism since it's it resonates with people so much. Um yeah. but also talk about kind of in general what people are um, are struggling with right now. And I mean, I can definitely say we were just talking about how anxiety is really up there at the top of the list for so many people. Um, yeah. What's been happening? Like, what have you been seeing over the last year in your patients and then like, you know, culture?
2: Um, Everybody's anxious. And I found that my patient, it was actually interesting. My patients who had anxiety going into the pandemic actually did better because they now their worry and all their stuff had somewhere to actually land and go. So it was almost like they were equipped to deal with it. And then after the pandemic, their anxiety went through the roof. And the people that didn't have anxiety developed anxiety during it because everything was just, there was no structure. There was no schedule. There was, the, you know, COVID itself. No one had any idea what was going on. The world was falling apart. And
0: they continue to be anxious afterwards. So it's like, even if you didn't have it, now you have it. And the people that had it, had it worse. Right, and now people with kids are dealing with their anxiety, but they're also dealing with their kids' anxiety because Correct. kids lost two years of yep. socialization, so. of education. Okay, fine, they were at, they were at home. But like, yeah. like, you know, terrible time for kids. Very yep. bad time for kids. My right. little one, my, my youngest one, she
2: was 2 at the time. She never even had a fr- she's n- it was like the first time she was in school and she was so they all were but she was so behind socially. She had never seen like daylight.
0: No, but all the data is there. The data is there. Kids are are far behind in their reading skills, yeah. in their social skills, and it's devastating. I for think sure. we
1: all feel and I'm sure it's really heightened for kids. Um any social setting that I go to, oh, yeah. I was at a wedding recently and it's like everybody feels overstimulated when you're yes. at something like this. You're like overwhelmed. Yeah. Everybody I'm talking to is like, I'm really overwhelmed right now. There's too many people here. I'm anxious yep. about being out. I want to go to my room. I want to like be quiet. I want to go home. It's, and it sucks because everyone's rushing to celebrate everything that they weren't able to celebrate and we all get there and we don't want to be there. Not to saying that we didn't want to be at this wedding because we did, but I mean like the anxiety of being around that many people.
0: Also, I think everyone just got so disconnected. So like I find myself going to events and I'm like, what's my place here? I don't even know what my place is in this room anymore because it almost feels silly. Like it feels, I don't want to say stupid, but it feels like it feels silly. Because we know know how
1: we were able to function without needing to do all of those things. So so, now you go there and you're like, why do I need to be here?
0: My friend called me the other day and she was like, (laughs) Um, my boyfriend is going to New York for, like, a meeting? Like, is that weird? Is that shady? <laughs> and I was like, this is the new normal, is that we're, like, questioning our boyfriends and girlfriends yeah. if they're getting on a plane that's to go really somewhere funny. for a meeting. Because like, well, we're I like, like do it. yeah, like,
1: do
0: it. Uh, okay, red flag, you're getting on a plane mm-hmm. for a meeting. You don't need to do that. Where it's like, before the pandemic,
1: that's what we all did. It was <laughs> correct it was weird if you work from home. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about what narcissists have been doing. Mm. Where have they been? Where are they what hiding is- out? Are they coming out from out of the shadows? And and also we're talking a little bit about um, this Adam Levine cheating scandal. And it was kind of making us think that we should do a cheating episode because I think people would really like that, which made us think, you know, what is, what is the role of cheating with a narcissist? What is a narcissist role in cheating? Does it, do There's got to be real data around that. Yeah, Do narcissists cheat more to someone? When someone does cheat on you, I think the instinct is to call them a narcissist because they're inherently thinking about themselves and well, not thinking about think you. narcissists think they're above the law, right? So like they won't get caught or like it's their right. And, and even
2: if they do, they're entitled to have multiple partners.
1: Uh, ah, yeah. they're entitled yeah. to it. What makes them think yeah. they're entitled? That's how they operate. They think that the rules don't apply to them; that they
2: are special, they're unique. And the other part too is, if they get caught, they don't—they
0: don't care. Mm. That's what I mean. They think it's they did no wrong, and if you're hurt by it, well, like that's your problem. That's your problem. And a narcissist probably assumes, even if they cheat, you'll never leave them because you'll amazing. never leave them
2: because you're because you're so wrapped up and lost your identity to them that even if they cheat. They'll, they will make you believe it's your fault. I cheated because you don't have sex with me enough. I cheated because your horrible wife or, you know, you went out with your girlfriends last night and left me
0: home by myself. What am I supposed to do with your <laughs> Oh my that God. Is so yeah. crazy. I do hear that from cheaters is, yeah, well, my wife wasn't fucking me. So what Correct. should I do? It's like, uh, it's maybe look fault. at why she's not fucking you. Maybe because you're an Correct. asshole. Correct. exactly. Yeah. They won't do that though. And
2: it's so different, not that I'm saying this is good either, but it's very different than having an affair. It's it's a totally different function. Like usually when men or women, most of my female patients are the one that, ones that have affairs, not even the men, but m- most of my patients that have affairs or had affairs, it's because there's, it's not multiple people and it's because there's something lacking in the marriage. They're not fulfilled. And again, I'm not saying it's right. That was That's their reason for doing it a narcissist does it because they just feel they deserve that supply they need constant sources of admiration and they have multiple people in the wings that's why when you break up when a narcissist breaks up with you or you leave they have this new girlfriend extremely fast like blasted over social media because they
1: didn't just meet her so you're saying mean, yeah. there's a difference, which makes sense. There's a difference between having an affair because there's something lacking in the relationship that you're looking for and you need. And, and cheating. And cheating because you're a narcissist and you believe that it is your right to cheat. And even if the person in your relationship is doing everything that they should be, you're still, you were still going to cheat no matter what. Yes. Right.
0: But how do you differentiate? Because a lot of people cheat who aren't narcissists, right? Absolutely. I think because usually what you'll find is narcissists,
2: it's it's a- it's a chronic thing. It's multiple people all the time. I don't want to say all the time, a lot of the time. And then with someone who has an affair, it's usually one person, you know, it's not for the same reason. And if they get caught, it's a much different dynamic.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Narcissists don't even seem like they're nervous to get caught. They're not. No, they're not. Mm -hmm. And you know what's scary is that I think that, so many people we we've been exposed to relationships where you look at the way that the um I mean typically I have to say it is usually men in my experience you see the way that they're behaving and you and everybody thinks their wife has to know she has to know they must be in an open relationship and then you find out she really doesn't know and it's like you don't realize that the way that someone is behaving when their wife is not there is very different than the, how they're behaving. Yeah. When she is there, how is she supposed to know yeah. what's going on in a room? She's not in. Correct.
2: And also if that's the case, he's probably also saying to her, you're crazy. If she suspects mm. something, Do you know, know you're not, are you off your medication? Um, you know, they gaslight them to no end so that they so doubt their own reality that if, even if they question it, they, they talk themselves
0: out of it. It's mm-hmm. God, men are like, Oh mm-hmm. God. <laughs> But like, okay, so we know men are brutal. Sorry, not all men are brutal. That's not fair. But I don't think this is a, a men issue. This no, is no, 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 no. narcissist
1: yeah, issue. Yeah, no, it's a
0: narcissist issue. But like, what do we say about women who are mm-hmm. down to engage with a married man? I think that depends on, is the woman married to, or do they have the same at- Right, the, right, right, right. There, it, there's It's a different thing when it's a married woman and a married man, and they both yeah. have the same amount to lose. Yes. Right. Yes, exactly. So there's that, but then a woman who has nothing to lose, and a married man is sort of engaging with her, and now because of social media, you can just message yeah. anybody. I mean, it used to be right. like you had to be in the right place at the right time to find someone you're attracted to, right? And it was kind of like, oh, But now with social media, you can just get to whoever you want to get to.
1: You watch a movie, you think they're hot, you can just send them a message. Yeah. Well, ab- absolutely.
0: I guarantee you, if you went through everybody's social
2: media, so many people would be in big trouble. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Beyond. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I I read something the other day that said, get into a relationship where you have no fear handing them your phone. So So true. true. I mean, but listen, there's also
1: (laughs) the scary thing. Sometimes the interesting thing about that, though, is that you know, you could be having conversations with your girlfriends that are that's exactly what I said. Right. That are yeah. private that you wouldn't want your partner to see, but not because you're like cheating on them because Correct. maybe you're like complaining about them, you know? Right. Right. I mean, if I took my conversations with my best friends, I mean, we look
2: insane. And I mean, no one would even.
1: Yeah. Anyone uncensored to self is not the, their best self.
2: Correct. And I, I think as far as women that aren't married going for men that are married, again, I think if it's this one time, of, if it's a pattern that they have, that's different. I think that it's whoever's married, it's their responsibility to hold that up. I don't think it's the other person person. Cause you don't know what's being said. He could be telling her I'm leaving her. I'm get- getting a divorce. I'm in the process of a divorce. Meanwhile, she's pregnant with like their third kid, mm-hmm. you know? So we don't know what they say. We don't know what
1: they tell them the status of their marriages. Yeah. Because really like it's, if your relationship is intact, if you've, if you've, you know, spoken vows to someone it is on you to resist the temptation and anything can be cut off at an earliest, an early enough point that right. you keep yourself safe. Right. We That's all right. feel yep. a vibe like, Oh, if I, if I say yes to that drink, shit's going to get weird. Correct. It's, right. it's It's on us to decide not to do that. You can put That's yourself right. in a position to be vulnerable or to not be vulnerable. I mean, I right. I've been messaged by, there was a very famous man who was married, who DM me once and I was shocked at his boldness, like shocked. I was fully single at the time. He's fully mm-hmm. hot. And mm-hmm. I got the message and I was like, it made me really sad for his wife. Yeah. I was really like embarrassed for her. Cause I thought if he's doing this, this casually, this comfortably, imagine how often he does this. And I don't think that the wife knows. And I was single. And that makes me really sad. I know. Right, and you were single and you were young and
0: you were like, you know, fuck this. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And that's sort of like- That's really ballsy. Mm -hmm. I like went off. I went off last week about the situation on TikTok. I never go on TikTok, but I was like, I have to say something. You mean the Adam Levine situation? Yeah, well just, yes. But like, there's a million Adam Levine situations. I just wish as women, Mm -hmm. okay, we know that men- are pigs. A lot of men are pigs. We know that, right? And it's no excuse, but I'm just saying like, I don't even understand the mind of a man. (laughs) Like, it's so confusing to me. And I know there are a lot of people that do. I don't, but I do understand women. And I guess I just wish that more women would just have, no matter what a guy is saying, if a guy is married, it is a no. It is just a no. I cannot engage with you. And I know that's like you know not realistic. it's but- like listen. I mean, I hear this all the time. It's it's there's like
2: a like a girl code. Like
1: there's you know, a girl there's code, this- but a woman doesn't have loyalty to another woman that she doesn't know.
0: Well, some women do. You did some some you did? some
2: do. I, th- I honestly, I think it depends. Again, I'm not saying it's right. It, I think it really depends on the situation. I think it depends on what the married person is telling the, you know, the, the non-married person, I think it depends on the reasons for them doing it. I, I think, I don't think there's a, I don't think that there's like one solid answer for all of that. And I really think each situation is different. I've had, you know, people say, I can't believe they did this. They should know better. It's girl code or, you know, they they should know you don't do that to someone else's husband. And then I've had other women where it wouldn't, they would, they didn't even consider it.
0: Yeah, okay. and I think like I've married a- and kids is different. Like when I was in my early 20s, like I like fell in love with somebody who had a girlfriend, but they didn't like live together. We were 20. They weren't married. There were no children yes. involved. Like yes. that shit happens. And by the way, and I regret that. Mm-hmm. And that there were no stakes in that. You yeah, know? it's definitely
1: not the there, same as no, a married woman. There were no
0: all. stakes. It was 20, not even uh, engaged and not just yeah. date, whatever. And I just wish as women, we would all just have each other's fucking backs a little more. Love my green
1: pan. I mean, I've really been, I feel like I've really inspired you to be, to have a more non-toxic life, wouldn't you say?
0: No, you have. But I also think technology is getting better and all of these green pan, you know, they look better. They have cooler colors. They're not sticky. They really just are the better option. So it's a combination, yes.
1: And a lot of times with the healthier non-stick pans, like the non-stick stuff kind of goes away after a little while and they become sticky and these do not do that.
0: No, but the thing that actually got me like really on board was the visual and just the idea
1: that when you are cooking with toxic pans. It's an any nonstick pan. Any nonstick. Any yeah. nonstick that isn't a clean brand, they're using like Teflon. And Teflon has forever chemicals in it. So you're cooking forever chemicals into yeah. your food and into your kids' food. And non-stick pans that are that are are toxic. Um, they have plastics on it. And so you're heating up plastic and that's going directly into your food. And like they've tested food, it has plastic in it. It has all these toxic things in it. So um, it's, green the are the people who actually introduced the world to ceramic nonstick cookware and they have over 150 patents to prove it. So you're really buying from the best.
0: And a lot of you
1: have written me that you are also
0: now using them and that you will never go back. So
1: to remember that healthy cooking is about more than just the food that you make. It is also the products that you cook the food in as well. Right now, GreenPan is has an exclusive offer only for our listeners, the world's first podcast listeners. If you go to greenpan.us, use the promo code FOSTER, you will get 30% off your entire order, plus free shipping on over, orders over $99. So whether you're buying only one pan or an entire whole set, it's 30% off of all of it. Head to greenpan.us. Promo code is FOSTER.
0: Okay, Erin, they say that hair care is the new skincare. And they what had do you, think you about that? They had you at skincare, didn't they? Listen, anything that is going to be beneficial
1: anti-aging, sign me up. So, Kitsch has a cult-like following, people like Sarah who are obsessed with skincare. Um, and so they basically created all these game-changing essentials that are that beauty enthusiasts are obsessed with. So, I love their pe- satin pillowcases. Satin is um, naturally vegan. And they also have satin um, eye masks as well. It's really, really good to sleep on those. It's like better for your hair. It doesn't tangle. You know, people don't realize how much your hair tangles at night when you sleep on a cotton uh, pillow. Also, the other thing that has gone viral on TikTok from what Montana tells me are the heatless satin curling rollers. So you don't even use... By the way,
0: your hair gets so damaged. Heat damages your hair with all those other ones.
1: Yeah, so TikTok is like obsessed with... Um, people who are throwing away their curlers and their heat irons and using these um, curling rollers that are very cool. Also the quick dry hair towels.
0: You wrap your hair in these towels and your hair dries like 10 times faster than it normally would.
1: So Kitsch is offering you 30% off your entire order at mykitsch.com foster. That's right, 30% off anything and everything at mykitsch, spelled M-Y-K-I-T-S-C-H dot com slash foster one more time. That is my slash foster for 30% off your order. I have a question about narcissist. Is it nurture versus nature, nature versus nurture?
2: So there's, there's two sides to that debate. Um, there's research out there that it is genetic. There's a genetic component to it. There's research out there that says it's patterns, Um, of your caregivers that you're around. And as a result of those, it's not like a narcissist is going to have a narcissistic child. It's just toxic patterns, inconsistencies, how the child develops strategies to survive their environment. Mm -hmm. And those strategies kind of morph into something as they get into adulthood, or they're the golden child and they can do no wrong and they have no consequences. So There's that. And there is a genetic component. And they've even done studies where the brains actually look different in narcissists than non-narcissists. But as far as what causes what, um, they're not really 100% sure. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Because sometimes a narcissist can have a child that becomes a real people pleaser to make the narcissist happy.
2: A hundred percent. That's very common. It's very, that's very common. That's why I say narcissist doesn't necessarily mean they're going to have narcissistic children. Usually it means that they're going to have kids that if that pattern is there, the kids are going to think nothing they do is right. Um, Mm -hmm. they, you know, nothing that they decide is right. Their opinions don't matter. Everybody else's needs should come first. Their needs don't matter. And then that's where the people pleasing
1: comes into play. Right. And so is narcissism just a behavioral thing or is it a brain wiring thing? Like, can you be, I know you can be diagnosed with like narcissistic disorder, right? Mm -hmm. Is it the the same as being diagnosed with bipolar disorder or borderline? Like, can you see it in someone's brain or is it just behavioral?
2: So it's, 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 there's a problem with that because narcissists don't go to therapy. They, you know, if they go, they go for anger management for one session or their significant other drags into therapy um, for couples therapy, but but it, you you see it in the behaviors. Narcissists have a very distinct playbook that they use, and as different as they may be, their behaviors and the structure of their behaviors are identical. Um, it's very predictable, so. You know, from a brain standpoint, yeah, there is research that says that the actual brain functions differently in certain areas of the brain for a narcissist versus a non-narcissist. But as far as getting diagnosed or diagnosed kind of secondhand, it's it's all behavioral because it, it meets a very distinct kind of pattern.
0: Mm-hmm. God, there's so many levels of fucked upness. I feel like I'm just <laughs> thinking about like all the different... Can dynamics you, of people in my life in business yeah. in romantic and family. And like, there's just so many different personality types to fucking yeah. deal with. And then I struggle with my own personality type, you know, it's just, yeah. but I will say like, I do think Aaron and I are in a better place as sisters, as business partners, when we really decided to just accept that we are very different and to accept that we handle situations very differently, to accept that we are triggered by not the same things and to hold space for one another. Like she can't change me, I can't change her. And I feel so like relieved that
1: like, I'm okay. Like it just is what it is. And can you agree with that? Like, I think you've just been like- I think it's hard because Sarah and I have different realities like we remember things differently yeah we have different versions of how yep. people in our family are, who they are, what they've done to us, what how what kind of parent they've been, or sister they've been, or family member. We have such different experiences that it's really hard to not invalidate the other's experience. Yeah.
2: I was just gonna say that that's so important to accept it because otherwise it can be very invalidating to each other. And you're not intending it's not your intention to do that, but just by nature saying no, you're wrong or no, you misperceive that, because two people growing up in the same exact household. Are gonna have extremely different versions of what happened.
0: Yeah, and it would be a yeah. full-time job way. trying to get Erin to see it through my lens. Cause she will Correct. not, because that right. is just was just not her experience. And I obsessed, and I think she did for so many years of look through my lens. It's clear, just look through my lens, and then you're yeah. gonna, you're gonna agree with my lens, but she never will. And I never will with her, right? With her lens, right? And like I think like that's just okay. You
2: can appreciate each other's perspective,
1: Yeah,
0: but you don't... It's still
1: hard for you. It's not hard for me. I feel so relieved by it. No, it is still hard for me. Uh, You should see my therapist. I have a great therapist. (laughs) I introduced you to a therapist. He's amazing. (laughs) Um, Okay, I have a question. No, actually not a question. Can you just remind everyone in case they... I mean, it's been a year since our last episode with you. Um, Remind everyone... I think Has it really well, been a year. Sorry, it was December, so like almost a year. Oh, sorry, wow. my
0: daughter's writing me that she goes, "Mom, there is so much drama. Ugh. I feel like I'm putting out fire fires with eleven year old girls every day." And I'm so gets worse. It gets worse because she heard It gets worse because my seven year old isn't Oh no no no. You don't understand. These girls, I'm like, are their hormones raging? Like, are they all narcissists? Like, I don't know. Maybe they're all they're all selfish, they're all competitive, and they literally bring out the worst in each other. It's crazy cuz I think individually they're all good little girls, but yeah. together it is I'm seeing toxic relationships with 11-year-olds. Well,
1: uh, social media is amplifying a lot of that stuff oh. because you're really able to make someone feel bad quickly, easily. You're able to post yeah. a bad picture of them that they don't like. You're able to make fun of them in front of everyone, show them that they're not hanging out with the rest of the group,
0: you mm-hmm. know, show
1: off your life, show off your vacations that they don't have. Yeah. Yeah, we, didn't, so, we were dealing with
2: FOMO. There was no way to do that before. You no. didn't know where anybody was unless... You called their house. You could just posting
1: pictures. You could bring of, photos for to school after vacation right. and really hope that you could like right. pass about a class and make people jealous. Right. It was right. no, it's so much harder now. It's
2: so much harder. And I also think that's a that's a that's a difficult age because they have a difficult time seeing past their own self. So all kids that age appear to be super self-centered, but that's more a
1: developmental thing than than an issue or a problem. But you know, someone was saying to me, and I want your take on this, you'll know better than we will. Um, we are talking about, and I don't want to get into cancel culture because it's so boring, but um, the idea of um, things and decisions that people make at a really young age haunting them for the rest of their lives um, or judging people based on things that they do when they're young. And someone was saying to me that that young people, your prefrontal cortex is not mm-hmm. developed yet, which is where you get your moral compass. Mm. And that you um, you you could like, when you're young, you like could... I don't know, someone could like kill a small animal or something and like think that it's like cool and gross and weird. And they're not like a serial killer. They don't have a moral code yet to understand the consequences of that or what it means in larger scale. Right. Can you like explain more about about that?
2: Yeah. So so basically their frontal lobes are not done developing. So that's where our judgment and our planning, impulsivity, that kind of stuff. So a lot of times kids will do really stupid shit because they don't think about the consequences of it as far as how it affects other people outside of them. And so it appears selfish and it appears, you know, kind of like, didn't you see what would happen? Didn't you care? And it's not that they didn't care. It's just, they, it never occurred to them. So that's where kind of the parenting piece comes in is that you, you, you hope that you're teaching them enough responsibility and empathy Um, And being able to see how other people respond, you know, do you, you know, when you say to your kids, okay, well, that hurt their feelings. Do you like it when people hurt your feelings? So you hope that you instill enough of that to kind of manage that until their brains are fully grown (laughs) or developed. But from a purely, you know, kind of brain standpoint, no, they're not developed yet. So they tend to be more impulsive and kind of lack that
0: that judgment, you know, the kind of good judgment. But so we're not born with a moral compass.
1: We're not yeah, born with that's that. Why a three-year-old right. walks up and like smacks you in the face and like thinks it's funny? Or, also,
0: like- our oh. kids mimic us. So our kids watch us. I'm telling you, every little girl that I know that is like mean or bulliesh, the mom is usually a bitch. Yeah, you know, it's like the parents. They either
2: don't stop their kids from misbehaving because they feel bad because they're people pleasers. And so the kids think that they can do whatever they want because there's no consequences. So if they don't listen to you as the parent, well, they're not going to listen to their teacher, right? They're not going to listen to somebody else because if you're not setting limits, then they don't have limits. Um, and I agree with you. I think a lot of the times too, it's the the parents are, are, they don't handle the situation. You know, if their kids mean or something, and we're talking about younger kids, parents don't necessarily help. And I see that too. So, so it's, I think it's from, from both ends. It's the people-pleasing parents that don't put restrictions or don't tell their kids when they're misbehaving because they're scared to make them upset or they're scared to disappoint them. Um, and they don't like to see them anxious. I think that that can
0: create, mm. you know, the same problem. We talk about that all the time in our friend group. Like, so it doesn't help that society is now encouraging us to raise these little fragile thin skin children, you know, it's like, I literally Mm -hmm. said to my daughter the other day, I go, Hey girl, the world is a big, bad, nasty place. And you need to be prepared for it. Like all these kids are so sensitive now. And listen, it's good. Our kids should have a level of, you know, sensitivity for sure. We want our kids to be sensitive and empathetic and all those things, but we are coddling these kids. The world is coddling these kids now. And they are like, gonna be shocked when they get out into the real world, right? Like, everything is sensitive. Their, th- their skin is so thin. Everything I say, my daughter is, like, offended by. I'm like, yeah. girl, I'm gonna homeschool yeah. you.
2: <laughs> There's There was an article that came out a while. I think it was in the New York Times. It was years ago. And it was about this concept of psychological immunity. I don't think we talked about this last time. And it's, it's this concept that parents, out of their own discomfort— jump in and save their child from feeling scared, anxious, bad, angry, anything, because it's uncomfortable for the parent. So The parent jumps in to manage the situation so they don't feel uncomfortable. And what ends up happening is these kids then through life don't develop emotion regulation skills. They don't know how to self-soothe. They don't know how to manage life problems because it was handled for them all out of love. It's not like malicious. Then they get to college and they're they like, mom, can you with, Postmates me dinner? They get, Yep. They get a B on an exam or they don't, you know, they they don't get invited to something and they don't have the skill sets to, to handle that. Um, and their anxiety goes through the roof because therapists were seeing all these like 18 to 24 year olds who came from families that you would not expect somebody sitting on your couch, this anxious and this depressed would come from their families were supportive and and, and intact and loving, you know, and, and good families. Um, but the problem was that the the parents didn't let them develop emotionally because they just took
0: care of everything. Mm-hmm. And so the kids have have no strategies to regulate any of their emotions. Right, it's and- an attempt to avoid anxiety, but really what you're doing is you're creating an anxious adult because they have yes. no coping skills and no survival skills mm-hmm. and everything right. is like too much for them to handle, which then yep. you become an anxiety ridden human mm-hmm. being. Interesting that the, the nar- with narcissists,
2: sometimes what I see for children of narcissistic parents, and this isn't all the time, but a lot of times I see this, they develop a very strong sense of resiliency because they have to, or else they won't get through life. And so sometimes you find children of narcissists to be very, um, just kind of they don't quit, right? Like they just keep going and going because they had to. They're like in survival mode. Yes. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Something I was talking to someone about the other day, he was telling me about how he in, I mean, I guess it's kind of like, it's not a sexist conversation, but it's, it's just what the reality is of the situation. So this guy was saying to me that it's, harder for him to give feedback to the women that work for him than it is for the men because the guys don't take it very seriously they don't get defensive they don't get upset they don't get hurt by it but the girls cry every time that like if you say hey you fucked this up or hey you didn't do this right or hey we need to work on this thing and you know the girls cry and they get really emotional and it makes him really uncomfortable so he you know panics and doesn't want to give the girls feedback because he doesn't want to like see girls cry in the office And we were talking about this and and I know it might be an antiquated idea that girls are crying and guys aren't, but you know, if somebody gives me fat feedback, like at, at work, I mean, I've cried before for sure. Girls are more sensitive to that typically. And I was saying to this guy, you know, we need to do a better job of raising our daughters to be comfortable with conflict and comfortable with feedback because I see it as a real positive thing that a guy can be told, hey, you fucked this thing up and be like, oh shit, I won't do that again. That seems healthy to me. Falling apart that you did something wrong, that you weren't perfect at something, that you disappointed someone and having it like make you be in a puddle on the floor in your office or in the bathroom, that's not what an adult should be doing. Why as women are we so uncomfortable with criticism or feedback or disappointment? We need to be starting at such a young age to teach girls to be comfortable with it
2: hmm. Yeah. No, I think I mean. Obviously, I know I'm going to obviously there's many women that if they get feedback, they're not going to cry. Right. And they're going to be able to handle it. And they'll look at it as constructive. Um, but are there because I don't
1: like see that a lot. I don't do-
0: cry when I get feedback. I like but I take things very personally. I
2: mean, I also think it depends on the kind of work that you're taught, you know, the kind of work they do and and the relationship with their boss and the the, the vibe in the office. Like, I think there's a lot of variables at play with that. If they're in an environment that's very cutthroat, maybe, or constantly demeaning or condescending and maybe, but I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't see that as much. Interesting. I don't
1: see that as much. So you feel like, I don't know if you do this as a therapist, like, do you ever, I don't know, say to a patient, like, um, hey, you know, you're always late for our appointments and like, I really need to be on time. Oh, yeah. or, or, hey, you haven't paid me for that week and like, I needed you to pay on time. Like something that would make someone a little bit like nervous. Yep. Do you find a different reaction between men and women? No, I don't. I find a different reaction between personality styles,
2: but not, not between sexes.
1: Interesting. No, okay,
0: well, definitely personality styles. I'm always nervous to remind people or ask people to pay me back. The worst. I, I, I really like there's something I don't I, I like I have gotten better about like if a check comes and they put on like two coffees instead of one, I'm like, um, you charged me for two coffees. Like, can you please take that off the check? Right. Yeah. Which I used to be embarrassed to do. I don't know if this is related, but it's really hard for me to write someone and be like, hey, you were supposed to Venmo me, but you didn't. Even if it's like, I'm like, oh God, it's like 40 bucks. Like, do I really yeah. want to be like that? But yeah, I want my $40. Like, why should I have to pay for your freaking kid's art class? You know, I don't know. Yeah. Like, why is that? Because I'm just insecure.
2: No, I don't think, I
0: think it's awkward. No, I don't think it's any, I think it's awkward. It's awkward. It's yeah. Money is money's a weird thing. No, but I know some women that are like, 10 seconds after I have in Venmo, like you need to Venmo me now. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. Yes. Okay.
2: I mean, w- money's a weird thing because it's like uncomfortable to ask for and it's not, but that kind of thing. I mean, I feel like you don't want to set a precedent that no one ever needs to pay you back. Right. But at the same time, if you think about it and you switch it around, if somebody asks you for, yeah, I had this happen the other day. I had somebody say, can you remember to Venmo me 30 bucks for so-and-so's birthday kid's birthday present? And I was like, oh, crap, I forgot. So like, I almost appreciate it. But I think if you switch it around and somebody sends you the request to say like, oh, you owe me 10 bucks, you're not going to think anything of them. If anything, I'm kind of like, oh, well, like, I don't know if I would have done that. (laughs)
0: But in a good way. It's so So crazy. The stories we tell ourselves. We tell ourselves fake stories all the time. My my story is like, if I do that, they're going to be like, God, Sarah's such a loser. She's like hounding right. me for $40. She must like not right. be doing very well. Like it's a crazy right. story that I tell myself, even though right. when someone does it to me, to your point, I'm like, oh shit, I forgot. Yeah, let me do it right now. Yes. Well, and so I have
2: people switch that around because, because the truth is, is nobody, I said this, I say this to my patrons of social anxiety. Kind of nobody cares about you as much as you think they do. And everybody has so much shit going on in their life. You are not that special that they're going to take that much time out of their day to, to analyze your Venmo. You. They're just not, you know, and, and it, it's, it's true. I don't, you know, and I say this to people with social anxiety, they'll say like, oh, I'm scared to talk in class or I'm scared to walk in a room. If it's a, everyone's going to look at me. I'm like, and you know, and I say, why are you, for someone that has social anxiety and thinks so low of themselves and have low, you know, self-esteem, you can't simultaneously think that everybody's also so focused
1: on you because that doesn't make sense. So you mm-hmm. got to kind of have to pick one. Also, <laughs> like the Venmo thing makes me think about I've been really thinking a lot of lately about how I'm so much more comfortable and happier in my friendships that are really, really direct with people yep. who are really direct because I never have to wonder, Where are, are they it? secretly mad at me? Are they actually annoyed about that? I don't really know how they feel about that. My friendships with people I know are going to pick up the phone and be like, uh, excuse me, you said you were going to fucking pay me back and you didn't pay me back. That's, That's right. a clean relationship. But the people who are scared to say it or scared to ask... That's where we both are always wondering what the other one's thinking and both always wondering if the other one's mad at me. So that person, I might get the Venmo request and be like, oh God, are they secretly annoyed that I didn't pay them back? So it's a reminder that being direct makes people feel safe. Which takes us back to women are afraid to be
0: direct because they don't want people to be like, God, she's so fucking aggressive. She's such a bitch. Mm -hmm. Like It takes us back to, there's a million podcasts where we talk about this theme. I mean, other people. We've, you know, we we've we've all been talking about this for women, but yeah. it's scary. I know for me, I'm sometimes scared to be direct because I don't want to come across as like, you know, hormonal and aggressive. Mm-hmm.
2: I think that that's that that's been so long standing for so you know, women. If they're if they're aggressive, they're bitchy, yeah, 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 or yeah. you know, they're they're complaining or whatever. But the truth is, you. Kind, I, I'm a big proponent of. Do the behavior you want to do, and at the same time, feel uncomfortable. Because if we base our behaviors on what we think other people are going to think of us, if we base base our behaviors on not wanting to feel anxious, we go in the total opposite direction that we want to.
1: Okay. We really love Haya, Sarah, more specifically because it's for your kids. They are oh, because- clean, healthy kid vitamins. You don't realize how much crap is in kid vitamins. There are sh- They say it's candy in disguise, normal vitamins. Sugar, gelatin, gums, like all these crappy fillers. You understand like that's the stuff that tears up your gut that makes kids like their behavioral issues with like they're eating candy and you think that it's healthy. It's just it's so bad for them.
0: Most children's vitamins are filled with five grams of sugar, and Haya is made with zero sugar, zero gummy junk, but honestly, it tastes just as good, if not better.
1: It's also always non-GMO. It's vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, nut-free. It's just all the freeze.
0: It's pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and veggies and then it is supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. So it's vitamin D, B12, C, zinc, folate, um, and just all the things that support their immunity, their energy, their brain
1: function, their mood, their concentration, their bones, and all of that. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamins. You receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you have to go to HayaHealth.com foster. The deal is not available on the regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A Health.com slash foster and get your kids the full body nourishment that they need to grow into healthy adults.
0: Okay, did you know, Aaron, that an estimated—this is a crazy stat— five billion plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away each year? No, no, just think about that for one second. And if you stop and go like, oh, I'm contributing to that. But if everybody started using Blue Land, it would—I mean, it's really a crazy stat. I'm sorry.
1: Like, even because you think like we're being a good person by not littering, by— recycling our plastic and everything. But the truth is the amount of waste that we create by using different soap bottles every month and replacing them over and over and over again when Blueland has these, you know, you buy one time the bottles and then you just refill them with these little tablets. It's like a game changer.
0: The idea is very simple. You grab one of the very beautiful forever bottles. You put, you fill it up with warm water. You drop in the tablet, right? And that is literally all you do. Refill start at $2.00. And um, you can set up a subscription so you literally never run out. Uh. The products
1: are also really great. I love their multi-surface spray. I use it all the time everywhere in my house. I'm also really obsessed. They have, um, I don't know if you use this. I think you do. I've seen it at your house. I think we have to stop saying obsessed. We say
0: obsessed a lot and I think it's kind of annoying. I really like
1: their dish wash soap that is the powder. You basically, like, you you sprinkle the powder on, and then when the water touches it, it gets foamy, and it's really fun. I like it. So
0: their innovative tablet refill solution takes up to 10 times less space than a traditional bottle. And the formulas are, I mean, honestly, they smell
1: so clean and fresh, and just knowing that they're clean products. It makes a big difference. So... Right now, you can get 15% off your first order when you go to blueland.com slash foster. That is 15% off your first order of any Blueland product at blueland.com slash foster. Blueland.com slash foster.
0: Can I ask you a question? Do you think a narcissist can truly love you? No.
2: They're incapable of it. They love you based on their need of you at any given time.
0: And that it goes but, for all dynamics, like husband yes. wife,
1: uh yes. co parent child. Parent child?
0: Yes. Wow. The, so when I say when I say that,
2: let me let me throw this in there. So so true somebody I don't mean somebody that's like an asshole as a parent. Someone who has true narcissistic personality disorder is not capable of that level of emotion because they don't look at people as separate beings with separate emotions that can be hurt or loved or whatever. They look at them as objects, as interchangeable objects that exist solely for the purpose of needing some sort of benefit to them. And when a child, m- mother narcissists and father narcissists are a little bit different. But oh, is that true? Get, oh, Yeah.
0: Wait, we yeah. didn't go into that. No,
2: that. We, give it, need go, we need to go into that. Give us the difference. Yeah. So, f- mom, I'll start. so father narcissists, let's start with father because moms are a little bit more in depth. Father, male narcissists who are dads usually feel, you are usually very uninvolved in the parenting. Like they're just checked out. Um, they're not helpful. They are rarely home. Um, if they are home, like I said, they're just not involved. They view the kids as in the way. Hmm. That they're, a, they're just there. They're objects. They're objects that are in the way. And, you know, people all will say, you know, I tried to constantly, I, we were walking on eggshells around him. We never wanted to upset him. Everything we did was in service of trying to make him feel good. Everything was directed towards him. Everyone's running circles. He's in the middle and everybody's going like this around them. Hmm. And they know that. And so what happens is they usually have a favorite child they usually have a child that's, you know, labeled kind of the problem child. And they, they make it very clear that they have a favorite child. And they pit siblings against each other a lot. And they're the owner of
1: information. Why do they have a favorite child?
2: Because it makes them in control of a lot of the dynamics. It triangulates. It splits. Mm. So it splits siblings against each other. It keeps people separate while they're kind of in charge, almost. Mm-hmm. So they really are on unabund- And they, and they, so when people say, so like, you're telling me my dad didn't love me or my mom didn't love me. They loved you in the way they knew how to, which was usually based on what you were able to do for them or give to them in any given moment. Mm-hmm. Then you were, then you were good.
1: Love looks so different to so many people, right? Like some parents, they think loving their child is um, you know, controlling their life and making sure that they're always happy. Um yeah. some of people think that giving their child happiness, loving their child is letting them be free and finding their happiness on their own. You know, it looks so different to so many people. There isn't like one way to love a kid, right? No, but this is inherently different.
2: You're right. You're a hundred percent right. Narcissistic parents are inherent, it's it's different. It's different in the sense of even parents that are that think that they should control everything about their children still have their child. It may be wrong, but they still have their child's interests, best interest uh, at, at even
1: heart. If even if they're they're right, narcissistic
2: parents don't care what's best for you. It's what's best for them. Correct. And if it happens to benefit you, great. Now, what they will do is in public, they will be the best parent on the planet. Mm. Because it's about, you know, they will... These are the kids that like, well, let me get to moms and I'll explain it. But these are the kids that are dressed really well, dressed impeccable, but at home, there's no food in the house, right? Mm. Or no one's home to raise the kids, or they're just totally uninvolved. Um, but to the outside world, they're the best parents, they're charming, they're this, you know. Oh my god, I love your mom, I love your dad, and you're sitting there going, Oh, okay. You know, it's it's
0: like these two different people. So children raised from a, a narcissistic father, do they grow up to have certain qualities that are different from growing up with a narcissistic mother? Like, what happens to the child of a narcissistic father and mother? Like, what kind I don't, of... I don't think there's a set path. I think it yeah. just, it varies on so
2: many, so yeah, many, so many dynamic in the house. Yeah, there's so many factors to that. Then um, you could also be raised by narcissistic parents and have... Extreme awareness and resiliency, and, and make an effort to have healthy patterns. You know, there's. You're not screwed if you come from, you know, a narcissistic parent. Let's say um, mo- mother narcissists, female narcissists, are very different in the sense of, particularly with daughters, they're extremely jealous of their daughters. They're jealous of their youth. They're jealous of their successes, and anytime a daughter will have a boyfriend, get married go away to college, anything that the that the mother perceives as autonomous, they view it as abandonment. How could you do this to me? How could you leave me? It's almost like the child's an accessory, an extension of them, like a mini, literally a mini version that only exists kind of as as that parent, but kind of over here. But so that child starts to do something different or tries to go out into the world, the mom's going to view that as abandonment rejection, um, and give them a really hard time and make
0: them feel really bad about themselves. Do daughters of narcissistic mothers become narcissists themselves?
2: No, no, not necessarily. Um, again, it just, it just depends. They could be healthy. They could be narcissistic. They could be people pleasers.
1: Um, have you, um, heard of this book that's really popular right now, um, called I'm glad my mom Died"?
2: Yeah, I did hear about that.
1: I just read it and it is wild.
2: Yeah, I did. That's where also, you know, people say, but it's your mom, but it's your dad. And I hate that so mm-hmm. much because so many kids grow up in environments where the parents did such harm and cause such trauma that to expect the child to relate to them as if they were a healthy parent is so invalidating to them and their experiences. Um, so, Hmm.
0: Is having narcissistic parents a form of abuse?
2: Yeah, oh yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It's emotional abuse. Oh, it
2: could be emotional, physical, you know, all of it.
0: Is there a correlate, a connection between narcissistic parents and physical abuse? Yeah, they're
2: they're more abusive across the board. Wow. But
0: but that being
2: said, not all physical abuse, emotional abuse means it's come means the person's a narcissist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. But all narcissistic parents are absolutely psychologically and emotionally abusive.
1: Wow. So how do you know the difference between someone who's a narcissist and someone who's just selfish? Like I know that mm. we're I know we're creating a that's lot a good of question. No, that's a good question. It actually question. wasn't my question. Uh, it was somebody else's question, so I can't take credit for it. But but I know we're giving a lot of like sort of um, gender role stereotypes here today. But are we? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. But 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 I have experienced You know, there's a lot of men that seem to behave more selfishly in relationships than women do in the sense that women seem to have a better instinct for thinking about the other person. Um, It's like, you know, the jokes about a guy never remembering the anniversary, like those those tropes come out of truth. Right. So. That especially younger guys, like it's like sometimes guys have to be forced or husbands have to be forced into doing things with their wife's friends. Whereas for a woman, like you accept it more. If men are inherently sometimes more selfish, how do you know the difference?
2: So I think with the the making of plans, usually, usually that's most the it is more of the women that push that because they're the ones who kind of manage the kids' friendships and know the moms and kind of more involved with the school. Um, I think that's, that's pretty, no, obviously there's fathers that are involved too, but I think from the social standpoint, that is mostly women. I think with men, the difference between someone being selfish or just being an asshole versus somebody who's a narcissist, is it somebody who's selfish or is a narcissist or a, isn't just an asshole isn't going to necessarily be like that in every domain of their life. They may be a total jerk at work, but then they come home and they're very sweet and nice to their family or, you know, they're they're very tense and stressed at home, but when they go to work they're relaxed. And they, so that doesn't mean they're a narcissist. What a, a narcissist is is a pervasive personality disorder. So it's present in every area of their life. It is a lens through which they see their world and they see themselves in relation to the world. So they're not just a narcissist in one situation. They are constantly just that way. So if you see them- Narcissists do not discriminate. (laughs) No, they don't. And if you see them being nice to somebody, it's not that they're capable of being nice. You're seeing an act. So if you see differences with a narcissist it's because it's getting them something there's some sort of motive behind it either they want to look good or they need to get something or they you know they they they're trying to do something it's never just because they're being kind.
1: Okay, I have a question. So the well the question is not mine and it's someone wrote this in How to help a friend who is in a bad cycle with a narcissist. And I have a friend who's been in a thing with a narcissist for a long time. And I care about her a lot, and you know there's just constant cycles. The person just like says the same thing over and over again and then does the same fucked up mean shit over and over again and yeah and and there are other people in in our friends' lives who are like who are in our friend's life, who's like, I won't, I can't even talk about it anymore. I'm done. I will not give it to her. Like I will, I, I, I to such extremes, like I can't even like be in this friendship unless they're going to like do better for themselves. Whereas I am always like, I don't think I'm going to be the one that makes her stop this cycle. I'm never going to be the person that's going to make her not want to be with, with that person, you know, like mm-hmm. love is crazy and it makes you do crazy things. And so I'm like, my job is just to be there and be supportive and let her know how I feel. But you know, don't cut her off. She could go back to this person a hundred times for the next 80 years. Will it break my heart? Yes, it will. But it doesn't really have anything to do with me. It's not really my business. Like, I don't think I can change her mind. Mm-hmm. Is that the right way to be handling it? Is there a better way to be handling yeah. it? So
2: so again, narcissistic relationships are very different than even just, I don't mean to say just, but even typical toxic relationships, are very different. They follow a pattern, they follow a cycle. Um, and like you said, it just keeps going around and around like this. The best thing to do for a friend who is going through something like that, one, it's very hard to leave those types of relationships because they're either being financially abused or they're being threatened if they leave. Um, they're scared for their life. I mean, there's a lot of reasons. So women in, the, in narcissistic abusive relationships will leave they're never going to be ready to leave, but sometimes it takes. I think the average is seven times to actually leave the relationship for good. Um, so it takes a lot of coming and going, coming and going, which preps you for when you eventually leave. It's almost like practice in a sense. Um, so I look at women who or men who are trying to leave the relationships, but can't go back not as a negative, but as like they're building up the ability to eventually leave and stay for or stay away for good. I think from a, as a friend's standpoint, I exactly what you said is what I recommend people doing. I understand why it's so frustrating, but when they need to get out and they need to leave, they're going to need somebody objective to the relationship to kind of help continue to pull them out and give them, you know, like, look, he's going to do this, this, and this. This is what he does. And then he does this, this, and this. And they need somebody there to kind of show that to them. So I always tell people... Let, you don't have to get so involved because it is exhausting and draining, but you also don't want them to keep stuff from you mm-hmm.
1: if they feel like they're going to disappoint you or they're annoying you. Yeah, like being punishing, it doesn't feel like it makes sense to be punishing to that person. I feel like it's right. important for them to know you don't like the idea of them together, I guess, so that they Correct. feel that pressure of like, you know, it should signal to them like my none of my friends like this person, Correct. right? But like if you keep making that mistake... I'm not gonna love you less. I'm not going to judge you for it. So um, important. It's so important right? to say that to them. Yes. Yep. That's
2: exactly what I tell people. I you want to let them know you don't agree with their decisions. And at the same time, it's not going to make you love them any less.
1: hmm I think, yeah. Okay, because they're gonna need they're gonna need you at some point. Yeah, it's so hard. I mean oh, sorry, guys. it's just so it's so hard because it's so easy to see from the outside, but it's so impossible to see yeah. from the inside. <sighs> yeah. And I get that.
2: But that's why, you know, nobody's immune from a narcissist's charm, right? But what happens if you learn about the red flags and you learn about what love bombing looks like, you have the ability to notice it from the beginning so that you don't get involved in it. Whereas if you didn't know what those signs were, any one of us could get sucked into that because like it
0: feels good. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: crazy to me that once a narcissist, always a narcissist. That to me is just mind-blowing. Can't recover. That like people don't change like that. You can't, I mean, there's just so many, you can recover from depression. You can recover from things that you can't even fathom coming out of, but you can't recover from being a narcissist. It's just like,
2: because you don't think anything's wrong
0: with you. Uh, you don't no.
2: see the consequences of your actions. And if you do, you don't care because it's the other person's fault. So they don't, there's nothing to
0: even change. You are so brilliant. It's crazy. (laughs) Like, no, but I'm just like, you just, it's just, it's just crazy. Like it's something as you think like, oh, narcissism, but it's like breaking this shit down like this is so important. And I think also just for people listening, like what a release knowing like, some of these unhealthy relationships that you have been in participating, where you question all the time, like what is wrong with me? Nothing. It's, nothing is wrong with you. Nothing. It has
2: nothing. Not only is nothing wrong with you, that relationship, and this is this is hard for, I mean, obviously, but this is this can be traumatizing for people. That entire relationship wasn't real. <laughs> like, and it's so when somebody realizes that. It's a really tough pill to swallow because they put so much effort energy. It was very real to them. But for the narcissist, it just was like they the, They were never going to be the person they were in the beginning because that wasn't them to begin with. That was just to get you into the relationship and they're not capable of love. So, you know, the person comes out of it and they're like, well, what was that then? And it's a, it's a really tough concept
1: to wrap your brain around. Cause what do you do with that? Okay, I mean, my entire kitchen is filled with Element. I, I, yeah, I drink it several times a week. I love it so much. It's basically a clean, sugar-free, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no none of that crap. Um, electrolyte drink. It has science-backed electrolyte ratio of a thousand milligrams of sodium. 200 milligrams of potassium and 60 milligrams of magnesium. And it tastes salty. This is what people don't understand is that to hydrate your body, you actually need salt. It tastes salty, which is so weird, but then you become addicted to it.
0: Isn't it crazy to think that we've gone so long without like nourishing ourselves with electrolytes? It's really crazy how electrolytes make you feel, how it makes you feel so hydrated. It makes you feel like you have energy. You really do feel
1: replenished. And we just started doing this. Think about all the wasted years of no electrolytes. Um, I love Element. They have amazing flavors. I love the grapefruit. They- By the way,
0: it fully, if you're getting a headache and you want to take one of these, it takes away your head. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I can't tell you that. But if I'm feeling headachey, it's usually because I'm dehydrated. I do an Element. The headache goes away. Muscle cramps, fatigue,
1: yeah, like sleeplessness. You, we think about... We think about like electrolyte drinks only for when you're sick or when you're hungover, but it's actually good to have them throughout the week because you're just dehydrated and you you right. you know you need it. So right now, Element is offering our listeners a free sample pack with any order. That is eight single serving packets for free with any Element order. It's a great way to try all eight flavors or share your Element with a salty friend. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash foster. This deal is only available through our link. You have to go to drinklmntcom dot slash foster. Element offers a no questions asked refund. Try it totally risk free. If you don't like it, share it with a salty friend and they will give you your money back. No questions asked. You have nothing to lose. I just love talking to you guys about
0: things that have been in my home for a long time that we as a family are using and have been using for years. It just, uh, I love it. So Bowl and Branch is on every bed in my house. It's on
1: every yes. bed. Oh, by the way, mom, mom told me she listens to our podcast and that yeah. you lied and said that you gave her yeah. your bowl and Branch sheets when you actually kept them for yourself. So she listened That's and true. she called you out on it. That's not true.
0: We covered it. I said I did buy her Bowl and Branch sheets and then I decided to put them on her bed here at my house. Well, that's not really her bed. It's it's your guest
1: room. Yeah, but she sleeps here a lot. So it's really? really... Well, she would like them to be at her house as well. She mentioned that to
0: me. Yeah, well, she can use the code because we have one. We have 15% off. Guys, bowl and branch, these sheets are organic. Now, I think that we have this thing in our mind of like, oh, organic won't be as soft. It won't be as whatever. I'm here to tell you, and also Erin, they're the softest sheets either one of us have ever one. owned. They're softer,
1: they're softer than the, the ones I have that are not, not organic.
0: Completely. They're the softest sheets we have both ever owned. And you have to remember that a lot of our linens, a lot of our sheets, a lot of our bedding is toxic. And we spend half of our life or in Erin's case, 70% of her life in
1: bed. Also, if you're somebody who loves chemicals and loves toxic things and doesn't even give a shit about that, but you just want comfortable sheets, I would. Say, right, then that also applies to you. Then you should. If So if you said, I don't care about chemicals, I'm happy, I love chemicals. I just, I want, just want the best sheets money can buy. Exactly, I want the softest sheets you've ever touched. I would say buy Bowl and Branch. So get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use the promo code FOSTER15 at com. That is B O L L and Branch.com, promo code FOSTER15. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm sure we covered this in the um, first episode, but let's just cover really fast because my therapist did this with me because Aaron was always calling me a narcissist. And I was like, <laughs> I'm scared. Am I a narcissist? And he's like, okay, let's go over the seven, the seven questions. And we went through all of them, right? And it's like, you need to have five of the seven or seven of the seven or whatever. Let's go through them.
2: So I, li- I like to do it from how it looks. I like to translate the clinical stuff into practical stuff so you can kind of understand what that looks like. So if I say like grandiose ideas, I like to put that into what that actually looks like. For okay. People I, I love that. I think he helpful. just
0: Googled like the traits of a narcissist and we went through them. But yeah. Let's do it your way.
2: So, so you also have to keep in mind too, if you give a narcissist a checklist, like they, they won't believe they're a narcissist because
0: they're above a label.
1: So you're saying I can't self-diagnose but- that she's not a narcissist?
0: No, my, my therapist already did. My therapist like you don't you literally don't have any of these qualities. So I feel what like-
2: I tell yeah what I tell people is if you're worried that you're a narcissist and you like are actively questioning that you're not
0: right right because, because a narcissist
2: isn't going to waste their time doing that because they're not a limp they're like that narcissist i'm not a narcissist like that's that's i'm better I'm, my therapist I'm above yeah, a you know what he said
0: to me he goes honey your self esteem is way too low for you to be a, a narcissist <laughs> like he didn't say it like that but he that's was like, yeah, like funny. he was like you have low self esteem he's like which that's what we're here to work on like yeah, you're, you that's you, you, like that's the opposite of being you know i was dying i was like oh my god it's so funny
2: No, you would. Yeah. You wouldn't be asked. You wouldn't be worried about it. It wouldn't even
1: occur to you. All right. So let's give, let's give the checklist. Let's give the checklist. So, so
2: it's grandiose ideas, meaning you are above the rules. You're above the law. The rules don't apply to you. They never have, they never will. Um, they apply to everybody else. And what will happen is if you get caught, they get called out on it. They will do the most phenomenal job justifying why. They did what they did or didn't do, to the point where the person they're saying it to starts questioning that logic because it's so it's so convincing and it's so mind fucking that that you lose touch with like reality almost. It's hard to me. That's why narcissists it's hard to leave them because they work your reality, and then you need them to check in with reality. So they're determining and navigating your world. So you don't even know that you're being manipulated. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. It, so grandiose ideas, rules don't apply. Rules don't apply. Very manipulative behavior, right? So gaslighting, we talked about that, you know, where you kind of, you you confuse somebody so much that they're not even sure what they're saying is even accurate anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, no
0: consequences, right? So they'll say anything. They'll be like, Trump was blah, blah. Like, they'll, like, say crazy shit, right? Like, or... If it benefits them. What was the Trump example? Oh, I don't know. Just, like, it's not... It's, like, so weird to talk about Trump. And, like, it's just... I don't know.
2: They would only do it if, in some way, it benefited them. Nothing they do is without motive. Trump is a good example of a narcissist. Trump is... So there's, there's different types of narcissists. Trump would be... So there's covert narcissists where on the outside, you have no no idea behind closed doors. Whole different ballgame. They are very controlled when they're that everything's they're great. They're wonderful. Everything's great. They're the best father, best parent, best husband, best wife, whatever. But then behind closed doors, it's a it's a totally different situation. Um, And then there's malignant narcissists, which. They're just like that outside inside. It doesn't matter. That's just, that's who they are. And they say whatever they want and do whatever they want. So that's more kind of what you're talking about. There's no active, um, strategy or manipulation. trying They're not even trying, to, even trying to hide it. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, covert narcissists in my clinical personal opinion are a whole different level of dangerous. Mm. Yeah. Whole different level.
0: Okay. Keep going on the characteristics. Um, So they are very
2: easily offended. They cannot take constructive criticism. They cannot take feedback. They will view any type of feedback or any type of um, just debate or just another opinion as rejection. And narcissists absolutely cannot feel rejected. So they kind of Take that and go into what's like called a narcissistic rage, which could be exactly what it sounds like, just rage, just screaming, yelling, like they see red, they check out. Um, Or it could be total shutdown, silent treatment. You have no idea what the hell you did. They leave for like a week. You don't know where they went. They don't tell you anything. They just leave. Those are the guys that like hit on
0: you and you don't like say yes to their advances and they're like well you're a fucking whore anyways Mm -hmm. or like well well, you're ugly or I wasn't even into you anyways like you know guys like that who they're they're so rageful when you like just say like no I don't want to go out with you or like Mm -hmm. sorry you're not my type or I'm not that Mm -hmm. interested like dark.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. They can't handle that and so they do whatever they can to make sure that the situation around them doesn't give them that, which is why they surround that they, they are so over controlling of the people around them because they know that those people aren't going to really leave or criticize them because they're scared or they're brainwashed or they think their self-esteem is so low. they look up to this person. Um, no empathy, no concern whatsoever for the feelings of other people, how they hurt them. Um, they don't care if they hurt you. Um, and then, you know, and then there's also the, this, 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 they're not able to maintain relationships. So you'll find that narcissists have very few close friends, but they have a ton of on the surface, you know, acquaintances, colleagues, whatever you want to dinner friends, you know, just on the outside to make it look like they have a bunch of people. But really, they have very few connections. They're not able to maintain their connections at all.
1: It's really fascinating. I'm kind of like obsessed with narcissists. Is that it? Or I
2: more? mean, in a nutshell, in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. I mean, I probably summarized all the it's seven.
0: Really Allison just either. wrote, she's got a great title for the episode. Once a narcissist, always a narcissist. And mm-hmm. Allison so good with her titles. Very good with titles. Um. Mm-hmm. Oh God, this is just like a lot. Oh, how do... Uh, okay, let's say you're someone who has identified that they are in a marriage or a relationship with a narcissist or their parents a narcissist
1: or... Remember, she said get out. Remember we asked this something. She was like, I, I, get no, out of the relationship. I know,
0: but what if that's not an option? Like, w- what do you say to the woman or the man who is like, I will not leave this marriage like, or I will not tell my mother I'm never speaking to her again? Like, how can you exist then if getting out is not an option? Great question.
2: That's so my, that if my I, Great question. Thank yeah. You. If I have somebody come to me um, and they say, because I always say, is it your goal to leave? Is it your goal to stay? Like, I need to know kind of where they are with this, assuming they're safe, right? Assuming physically they're safe, okay? And their children are safe. But if somebody doesn't want to leave or can't leave for whatever reason, then what I do with them is I teach them how to set, very creative and strict boundaries for themselves to be able to survive this with the understanding that it's never going to change. And once they really realize that, it becomes a little bit easier to set boundaries because you're not still trying to do things to get the person to change. Now the behaviors have gone back this way. So you feel more in control because you're the you're setting goals and behaviors and boundaries for yourself whereas before it was all directed towards the narcissist try to keep them happy.
0: Okay, and this applies to all dynamics, romantic, business, mother-daughter, yeah. father-daughter, father-son. If son, you father. can't
2: if you cannot get out and you can't go what we call no contact, then the best thing to do is, you know, everything is fact-based, no emotion words, no long arguments, no long text messages, like one words, quick answers, um very to the point that kind of stuff. You're going to change what you speak about with them. You're going to mm-hmm. change what you think and hope you're going to get back. to Right. Them. And they don't you hear to, you,
0: right? When you're like, well, you did this and you, 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 they only respond they, to like, this doesn't work care. for me. I, for they, me. Yeah, they don't, Yeah,
1: they don't care. Right. You're never going to change them, but you can get, you can have tools to sort of protect yourself from it.
2: Exactly. And you can know what to bring up to them, what not to bring up to them. And if they do this, then I want you to do this. So I'll have a lot of times people kind of in the moment, these like strategies, okay, you know, here's the blueprint. This is what I did. What, how should I respond, right? How should I respond to this text message? And I tell people, if there's one word in that, that's emotion-based, subjective, something you cannot prove with hundred percent certainty, it doesn't go in because you, you can't argue facts, but anything outside of that, they'll hang on to that for dear life and start arguing with you. And then you lose the whole point of the argument. Mm Mm-hmm
0: does the PTSD from a narcissistic relationship ever go away So what
2: people usually have in in those types of relationships is is complex PTSD which is a little it's not a DSM diagnosis it's a little different than PTSD so PTSD is um an event like 9 11 right or a um a natural disaster or a fire you know your house burns down or you were in a car accident you know something like that is, you know, or God forbid, right. That, that, that can develop into PTSD. It's an event. There's a distinct before, middle, after. With domestic violence, narcissistic abuse, because it's ongoing, chronic, like a faucet, slow dripping, there really is no beginning, middle, and ends to the traumatic events because it's not an event. It's this ongoing. So it's more of this complex, what we call PTSD, where it's these episodes over an extended period of time rather than an isolated event so it has more of an impact on self esteem over time personality changes over time um affects your physical health significantly because it's long you know kind of again over time so it looks a little bit different and it's treated a little bit differently um but because it's more chronic and long term so does it go away
0: yeah yes you you have to go to therapy hmm. What are tips on how to not raise a narcissist? Excellent question. You guys are having excellent questions today. No one's ever asked me that. No, there there are audiences questions. Yeah, that one was audience. The other one was mine, but that was audience. That was a really
2: good question. Okay, so how do you not raise a narcissist? You are consistent in your emotions. You do not withhold love, affection, and attention because the child won't do something you want, number one. Number two, boundaries. You must, you are not your child's friend. You are not their friend's friends. You are their parent. You can be the cool parent, but you're the parent. And you need to set those boundaries very clearly with them. Um, And the most important thing is consistent boundaries. So if you tell your daughter, you're not allowed to do X, Y, and Z after 10 o'clock. And then the next day, let's say you're stressed, you're pissed off, something happened at work, can't deal. So you're just like i don't care do whatever you want Ugh. there has to be consistent oops. boundaries oops oops i know i know i'm saying this and i was like that sounds really good but i never do that um you know and listen doing not doing these things it's going to create a narcissistic child like there's so much more involved in that um there's a there's so much more so you know it's it's you want consequences to actions it teaches empathy um you know patience all that stuff and and uh, you know a stable kind of a stable emotional environment that you grow up in that's super important too and I don't mean don't fight and you know I don't even mean divorce I just mean let the children know that at the end of the day they have a strong foundation even if the parents aren't together
0: wow this is a lot to unpack
1: I know it's great though it's so good How do
0: you handle a parent who never apologizes? You don't handle it. You stop
2: over time expecting an apology. Because here's the thing what people think about apologies. People think that they can't move on until they get closure or they can't move on until they get an apology. 99% of the time, if they do get that apology or they do get that closure, it's never the way they pictured it. It doesn't make them feel the way they thought it would make them feel. And anytime your mental well being or getting over something is contingent on someone else's behavior or ability to apologize, you're giving up total control to them and you'll feel more out of control. So you can't wait. I mean, you can, you shouldn't wait for somebody else to apologize. Their apology, even if you get it, isn't going to change your sadness or anything like that. It's not like it magically takes it away. So you have to
0: accept the fact you're not going to get the apology that you want to get. Someone wrote in and said, do narcissists want friends? My mom seems to have no interest in having friends. They, how do I want to say
2: So it's different than somebody who has like two friends in their home body and they don't really like people and they don't really like going out because everyone annoys them. That's different, Right. Um, I think we all came out of the pandemic with like, I'm like, that a sounds third like me. Of the people we went in with. <laughs> right. I know. That's now, me. Right? I have like two friends. I don't like, Oh yeah. Um, but a narcissist will once quote friends. So long as each person has a benefit to them. And you'll notice with narcissists, each person that they call their friends has a distinct purpose in their life. So they'll have friends, but each one benefits them. And when they're done with them, they just kind of they're done.
1: They have a lot of falling outs. Mm, so interesting. Oh my god. I mean, there's just so much we could always we could talk about. I with, think
0: we need a part three and a part, <laughs> and, a, and a part four
1: and a part. I have a question, Dr. Z. Have you? Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming yes, but I know you said narcissists don't really go to therapy. But have you had um, patients come in and start talking to you about their life and their issues, and you're looking at them and you're like, "This person is a narcissist." So
2: any clinicians that are listening to this will know exactly what I mean. But when you get that phone call, the first phone call to make an appointment, or they submit their their email with like the, what you know, why they want to be seen, you automatically get this. So it's something about the tone. The way, this is purely not clinical. Like mm-hmm. no one listens to me as far as like diagnosing. You just get this feeling. There's a disconnect. Now it doesn't mean they have narcissism.
1: It just, I just, it alerts me that there's something a little off. And what is it? Like, is it in the email that they're saying, I want to come to therapy to help deal with all these assholes in my life or how nobody understands me or people are, you know, I have no patience for people's stupidity. Like, is it all about blaming everybody else?
2: (sighs) Um, not at first it's more either. It's I've been just so many therapists, but I finally found you, you know, you meet everything I need. So was like love bombing. Right. Mm. Or the way they talk is very condescending and very, um, almost rude. And sometimes it's people who are so uncomfortable going to therapy. So they act that way to kind of, you know, level the playing field, so to speak. So they don't feel threatened, which is fine. And you see, and as they get comfortable, that'll start to go away. But with a narcissist, I, I really haven't had many narcissists come in for therapy and, and maybe like for anxiety once or twice, but they don't come back. Um, I have had spouses bring the other person in for like a session. And I maybe knew ahead of time that like they were, the way they were describing their, their relationship, you can kind of tell that they're falling into this kind of the patterns of a narcissist. It's very clear cut. It's very, you know, distinct. Um, and they come in and they do one of two things. They either try to charm me immediately and try to dominate the session, and I'll know exactly what they're doing. So I don't let them do that. And I set a very clear boundary, and they will either get really defensive, really fast. I've had people up and walk right out. It's like as soon as they know they're not going to be able to do what they do, Mm -hmm. it goes south real fast. And
1: they don't come back. Have you had patients flirt with you? Do you have patients like sexualize you, flirt with you as like a tactic to charm you? Yes. Yes.
2: That's what I mean. Like that's what they'll do. They'll say, you know, like, you know, know, I had (laughs) one. had one one um he was a i'll just change it. he was a boyfriend of a patient and they brought they came in and he said i think it was like you like you're t- you're too what do you say you're too young and cute or so, you're something it was something like that. it was something totally inappropriate mm-hmm. and you know and i and i looked at him and i and i said well that's not very appropriate mm-hmm. you know but no one's ever probably said that to him mm-hmm. right um,
1: so do you have the like ability? Do you have the ability in every moment as a therapist to separate yourself from the compliment or the behavior?
2: Yeah, you have. You kind of ha- listen. I mean, some things are. I mean, I'm human, so some things obviously get to me more than others. Um, everyone has their triggers. I have my triggers, but you have to. You have to remain objective because if I didn't remain objective to that and aware of what was going on. Very easy to be like, thanks. You know, like, oh, you know, yeah, I know, I look young. I get that all the time. You can say that with a non, a non-narcissist, because sometimes people just are so uncomfortable in therapy. Like, they just like verbal diarrhea. Like, sometimes things just come out because they don't know what to say. But this is different because this is a manipulative tactic to gain power over you in the session by trying to belittle. Right. You. So it's not even a genuine compliment.
0: No, yeah. there is no
2: genuine compliment. Yeah. I remember there was a Dr. Phil episode where they had Lindsay Lohan's mom on. I will never forget this. And he, she, she, in the middle of him asking her questions and it was brutally uncomfortable for her. She stops dead in the middle of the interview. She looks at it, she just goes, your shoes are just so cute. You're so cute. And he, and he looked at her and he was like, I'm cute. He, he was something like, I have a PhD. I mean, he just like ripped her and it was, that was a perfect example mm. of what I'm talking about, where they try to say something to like. Shift well, she the focus. was probably
0: trying to like charm him so he would stop asking her such hard questions and be more sympathetic to her. Yep. Um, should we each ask our own one more question?
1: I mean, I'm, I've asked all my questions. Okay, I'm like, okay. I feel fine. like we've done an amazing. We, no,
0: we have. There's just here. one other thing I want to touch on because two people asked this. About female friendships, like we've covered parent, uh, spouse, female friendships, like because we talk a lot about female friendships on this pod. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you spot and how do you handle a narcissistic friend, a girlfriend who's in the friend group or who you really like or who you like? How do you, short of like you and I are never going to be friends, like again, like if you if this is a friend you want to keep around. Um, so the way you
2: spot, I'll answer it too The way you spot a narcissistic brunch is you always the whole time felt drained by them. They're always an effort. Everything you say is either one up or they're always playing the victim. Like you have COVID. Well, I had COVID worse. Right. Or, you know, you, you know, you're tired. Well, like I haven't slept in a year or it, it, they're the best mom. And like, you suck. Cause like you don't make pancakes. Like there's always just some sort of power struggle, but you can't ever really put your finger on it. You just know it's competitive. there's this undercurrent, yeah, of competitiveness, but not like competitiveness like you're playing tennis with somebody and you're, you know, you're like, you know, I, I, I'm the tennis court. I'm like, a, I'm like totally different than human being than, than out. Like that's competitiveness. This is competitiveness with the function of making you feel small that's the difference. So it's not competitive because competitive can be healthy. It's competitiveness with the, with the, the goal of making you feel less than smaller than, but doing it in such a way you can't, you can't call them out on it.
0: Toxic competitiveness. We need to do a whole episode around.
2: And women narcissists tend to be very competitive in their friendships.
1: Mm-hmm. Even non-narcissists, just a lot of women in general be, are really competitive in their friendships.
0: Yeah, but you throw a narcissistic yeah. friend on top of there and Jesus. Yeah, scary. That's yeah. scary. Dr. Yep. Z, there's
1: so many fun topics that
0: we could get into. Wait, but how, how do you handle the person? I just want to end it. How do you handle—you just—
2: I mean, I think you have to manage your expectations of them right? Just like if you're staying in a relationship with somebody and you, you know, a narcissist and you're not going to leave, you have to manage your expectations of them and know what you're capable of getting from them, what you're capable of giving to them. Um, I would be very careful what you tell them because they'll use it against you. That's what narcissists do. They file your vulnerabilities away and then later on use them against you. So you want to watch what you say. does that
1: to me a lot. I do what you file, you file away. shit I did like years ago? No, she's saying vulnerabilities. Oh, I thought you said...
2: Both, both. I mean, anything they have from the past that, like, you can't... That you've trusted them with and and they just kind of use it against you. Like, you know, oh, you're just, like, insecure because, you know, your mom made you feel that way. Or, you know, something Uh, like that they hold against you. No, I hold Um, against Sarah the things that she's actually done to me that are bad.
0: Yeah, but, like, from a long time ago. (laughs) Yeah,
2: so I would... I mean, I just... You have to manage your expectations with them and be very boundaryed with them. Yeah. Ugh. It's hard.
1: I feel it's great. Hard. I feel great. Yeah, Sarah feels very validated.
0: I really do. No, this is just... I, I can't tell you how helpful this is going to be to so many men and oh, women listening. God.
1: Yeah, for and sure. And I think
0: we obviously focus on women because we have... I mean, it's funny, though. We do have a lot of male listeners. It's so interesting. Like, do you? Yeah, more female, obviously. But, like, yeah. a lot of guys also on here. So I, I really mm-hmm. think that there is... This will be eye opening for all the sexes, yeah, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, and we're so grateful to you for taking the time. And people just love you. You make it simple. Aww. You're clinical, but it's not overbearing. Like you can really it's digestible. Di- it's digestible.
1: Very. So thank you.
2: I appreciate that. I, it's such a it's such a heavy topic oh. that I feel like you have to kind of break it down and sometimes make it humorous, not offensive, but just you have to lighten it because otherwise it's like
0: it's too heavy. It's too heavy. Mm-hmm. Alright, well we appreciate you and guess what? We're gonna need a part three because I think people are gonna love this one just as much, if not more,
1: mm-hmm.
0: than the one from a year ago. So once Let's a narcissist, always
1: a narcissist. Yep. <laughs> Let's Dr. do it. Z, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. If you like this podcast,
2: leave a rating I love you.
0: This podcast is executive produced Can by Do not use that voice. I'm sorry, I'm trying to sound Yeah, but you don't need to make it sexy. This podcast is executive produced by. Be,
1: can you, do you have a normal voice?
0: Yeah. Aaron Foster, Sarah Foster, and Allison Bresnick. Okay, I'll take
1: over. Our, Our associate, associate producer is Montana McBierney. See? Our audio engineer is Josh Windish. This show is hosted by Simplecast. See, that didn't sound nice. That sounded great.